0: We're in the week two of a series. Uh, We've been talking about some things that you can't do. Uh, Last week, we talked about the the truth. If you missed it, you need to go back and watch it, that you can't please everyone. And uh, so we need to stop trying. Today, we're going to head into something a little bit different. um, And I want to share some things with you. Did you know that we've been told these things? Bulls get angry when they see the color red. If you touch a baby bird with your bare hands, it's mother will reject it. Uh, touching a toad, you know what you're gonna get? Warts, yeah. We only use 10% of our brains. And I know you've heard this one. It takes seven years for your body to digest gum, yeah. And uh, you need to wait 20 minutes after you eat to, yeah, see, we know these things, don't we? And if you get stung by a bellyfish, you need someone to pee on you, right? Yeah, we've heard all of these things before, haven't we? We know all this stuff, and so here's here's the deal. You ready for this? None of those things are true. Not one of them. Not one of. Do you feel like you've been duped right now? When I read this list, I felt like I've been duped. Uh, what actually triggers the bull's anger? They've proved this is movement, not color. What? Neurologists say that humans use virtually every part of their brain and most of their brain, our brains are active all the time. According to the Mayo Clinic, this is bad news. If you swallow gum, you can't digest it. It actually has to make its all the way out. And according to the Cleveland Clinic, the proper way to treat a jellyfish sting is with hot water. And I know someone right now is like, no way. <laughs> not only is you using urine ineffective treatment, but it can even worsen the sting. And when we read these things and we, we learn these things, we're thinking, gosh, like this is not cool. Like I've been duped. And, and you're like, oh, that's not cool. Well, I mean, but here's the deal. Here's what I'm really afraid of. I'm afraid that it's not just on these things that we've been duped, that it's on some things that matter much more. And so today I want to talk about something that I believe our spiritual enemy, who we've talked about before, who wants to kind of meddle his way into your life, distort and and kind of twist truth to really mess up our lives and our relationship with God. He's, He's on this mission to steal, kill, and destroy. And we talk about this a lot because he wants to ruin your life. And I want to stand with you on guard against what the enemy wants to do. So we talk about this a lot. His lives, they're going to hurt you. And when he manipulates the truth, his plan is to destroy you. And so we have to know what he's up to. So last week, we started this series, and, and uh, we know our enemy has this, this propensity to twist the truth and jack with our minds and our hearts and our understanding of God. And our goal during this series is to know how to identify a few of these things that we've believed, hook, line, and sinker sometimes, And so last week we talked about you can't please everyone, and this week is very important because we've fallen for this one. And it's not going to be something that you haven't heard before. But the reality is that we've allowed the enemy's twisting of truth to impact our lives, and so we need to talk about it. And so here's what we're going to talk about this week. You can't ever be good enough. You can't ever be good enough. And here's what's interesting. Uh, This is true. And it's something that likely you've heard someone say before, but our enemy wants to distort our understanding of this to the point that it will have seriously negative consequences in your life and in your relationship with God. And so this plays out several different ways, lots of different possibilities, one of the ways that this could kind of manifest itself in our lives is that we would kind of be predisposed to feeling this way. I'm, I'm so messed up and I've failed so much that there's no way that God could ever love me. Or we think that my life is such a mess that God could never have a plan for my life. Or that I've dropped the ball so many times again and again again. And again, that I have disqualified myself from God, from God's forgiveness, from God's plans, from an opportunity to be used by him and for the opportunity that I should have but can't now to to have hope for eternity. And I need you to hear me today. One of the things that I've had to recognize in order to be who God wants me to be is this. I will never be anywhere close to good enough. It won't happen. So please hear me. This is not bad news. This is not bad news. As long as you understand the truth of the word of God and not just know it, this is what we'll talk about this week, apply it so that it changes the way that we think and the way that we live. And I said this last week, I love how the scriptures are so authentic when they communicate that we aren't the only ones that have dealt with some of these issues and challenges. If you look through scripture and you see many, many examples, there's lots of them. I can't cover them all today. I'll cover a few. Some of the greatest leaders in scripture, the people that we kind of idolize in terms of, uh, you know, people of faith that like, we're, we're like these heroes, they, they struggled with these things, too, and they realized that they would never be anywhere close to good enough either. As a matter of fact, Abraham, you know, he's called the father of our faith in many ways. In and, and Genesis chapter 18, he was speaking to the Lord, and he said, I am but dust and ashes. And a little while later, the great prophet who, listen, was chosen by God to be the spokesperson for God himself said this. When he saw God, he said, it's over, I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Peter, remember that guy? Jesus said, you're the rock that I'm going to build the church on. you got to see what happened to him. When he saw Jesus do a miracle, Peter realized what had happened, and he fell to his knees before Jesus, and he said this, oh Lord, please leave me, for I am such a sinful man. And then Paul, I just love Paul. He lays it on the line. He's such a truth teller. And he's trying to explain, and you might remember his story. We're going to talk about it today, this amazing transformation, this amazing conversion that happens in him. In 1 Timothy, listen to what he said, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me. Listen to what he says, as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners, Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And we should be going, yeah, that is awesome. Paul, who says that he's the greatest of all sinners. I wouldn't put myself there, would you? He says, I was used as an example of this incredible God that I serve so that you and I both could have hope that we can believe in him and receive eternal life. Someone here, someone that's watching online now, just your heart is starting to race because you're thinking, there's hope for me. And yes, there is. Now, this verse puts it perfectly, and it's a verse that should set us all free. Romans chapter three, verse 23, it says this, for everyone. Raise your hand if you're part of everyone. Me too. Some of us are like two hands up. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And this is good news for all of us. Isn't it nice to sometimes know that you're amongst the ranks of people that also have fallen short of God's perfect standard? And if this is true, you see, this is what's been bugging me this week. If this is true, which we know it is, the Bible says it, Isn't it interesting that the enemy would want to whittle his way into your life and tell you that you will never be good enough? Because what happens when he comes into our life and tells us that, you know what typically you and I do? This is what we do. You're right. Instead, My plan over the next few minutes together is that this week, when the enemy whittles his way back into your life and he says, Ah, there you go again, you will never be good enough that you do this. I know. I know, and God loves me so much still that he would send his son to come and die to pay the price that I could experience the redemptive work of God. You see, this changes, guys, the way that we understand and think about our relationship with God. And so I want to talk about something that the enemy does to us. He, he forces us into, when we believe his lies and his twisting of truth, we get into this, what I want to call today the performance trap. And this thing is a vortex that spins around our lives and it messes with our hearts and our souls. And the enemy is sneaky and sometimes they're on one side of this, sometimes we feel like we're never going to be good enough. And then, man, when you're on your A game one day and you compare yourself to the right person that's just a little worse than you, you're like, dude, check me out. And you start getting a little bit of spiritual pride. You think, look at me now. I've arrived, right? And both of these extremes of the continuum are equally dangerous. So as a result, we start thinking sometimes in our lives, if I could only be a little bit better, God would like me more. Or we think, um, or we think sometimes that there's this false sense of pride or security that builds up in us because we think we're in a season where things are going Okay. It's also sometimes where we get this false sense of condemnation or guilt. And isn't this crazy? Listen, listen, isn't this crazy? Think about us, humans, humans, thinking that somehow the presence of God, the favor of God, and the love of God is dependent on me. Do you realize how messed up that is? Like somehow God's love is fluctuating. And if I behave right, then I get more love. His, his love for me, his favor on my life is somehow dependent upon the way I behave, what I do and what I don't do. And somehow that can change God's love. The audacity for us to think that that possibly could be what controls God's love as our behavior blows my mind. And I've shared before that the challenges we face are not new. And what I love, again, about the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, like you and I, lived under the pressure of the performance trap, and he talked about it, and he shared about it, and most importantly, he explained how we can shake it, how we can get out of the vortex of the spinatus. Now, before I jump into this passage, I need to explain kind of what's taking place before I read this passage, because it's a very interesting one. And so, you know, Jesus has come and he's taught and it ended the old way of doing things. The old dispensation is done. Jesus enters this new whole plan of what it looks like to be in relationship with God. Jesus goes to the cross and he pays the price for us. And yet still, like humans do, they were trying to keep pulling from the past with the rules and the regulations and all of these things that somehow qualify you as a Christ follower. And if you follow the, the, the course of the history of the nation of Israel, you know one of the things that they were required to do in the Old Testament was that this entire nation was, was required to be circumcised. And so now what's happening after Jesus has been teaching, there are all these churches that are popping up in these little populous areas and, and, and people are starting to, to embrace the message of Jesus and follow him differently. And there's these guys in this little church in Philippi that are telling the Gentiles, non-Jews, that if they're going to join the church, they have to get circumcised. What? Like who's signing up for church membership there, right? That's just crazy talk. And that's what Paul says in this passage of Scripture. So in Philippians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or your phones, you can swipe there. In uh, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to uh, start in verse 2. This is what Paul wrote to the church. He said, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. Now here it is. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Can I get an amen? Amen. Oh, that's, guys, why they call it the good news. This is beautiful. So Paul is addressing this issue surrounding the performance trap. And listen, this, this isn't how it works. And he's saying we've got to look at this differently. And so here's another thing that's been weighing heavy on my heart when we fall into the enemy's lies surrounding this whole idea of us having to work to be good enough for God's favor and love and whatever else, that, that what we're doing, and I need you to hear this because I've been convicted of this this week, when we kind of lean into that life of the performance trap, what we're doing is belittling the work of Jesus on the cross. I think you need to think about that this week. I do too. Because sometimes I think, gosh, if I can just behave better, if I can do better, if I can perform better, then all of a sudden I'm going to be in better better graces with God. And see, when I do that, I'm putting what Doug does ahead of what Jesus did. And that doesn't seem like a good idea to me. So when we live life this way, we're basically living in complete disregard and actually in opposition for God, for, for, of God's redemptive work. So Paul's going to walk us through what you might call his... His resume here of righteousness, and it's pretty impressive. Starting in now in verse 4, look what Paul said. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I, he says, have even more. Listen, now here he goes. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. In addition to that, listen to what he says. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. And listen, I know some of that stuff we don't get because we're not living in the same time when Paul wrote this. But for the people that were reading what he just wrote there, they would be like, dude's got chops. He's like spiritual giant. His life is all put together. He's from the right tribe and he's a Pharisee. And those laws just follows him with such great order, legit credentials, these people would have been wowed and they would have been impressed by what he wrote there. But here's what you need to see. And continues. Look at verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable. Here's what he's saying. I once was caught in the performance trap, but now I consider them, what does he say? Worthless. Well, why? Why would they be worthless? Because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want you to remember that last sentence there, because this is the kicker. He says, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord we're beginning to gain a new perspective here. We're beginning to see some things that perhaps we didn't know before. And then he continues, and he says, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Look what he says. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, look what he says. I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on my behavior. Is that what it said? Depends on my performance? No, it never has, it never will. It depends on faith, but faith in what? Faith in Jesus and what he has already done for us. Now that has the potential to change your life. So here's my main thought for this weekend. I fall short. God's grace never will. You can personalize that because we're all going to fall short, but God's grace never will. So how does this play out in our world today? How do you experience the destruction of this uh, working in us, this, this righteous performance mentality, the performance trap? The first way that this, and there's lots, but one way that this can happen is that we attempt to please God by following rules. And uh, that plays out in some interesting way. You, know, you think, well, you know, if I, I, I feel good about God and God must feel good about me based on what I do. And then others would say that I feel good about God or God feels good about me based on what I don't do. So it just depends on your perspective of life. Like It's like what I do or what I don't do that somehow is going to change my relationship with God. So let's just call the first crew the, the what I do crew. okay? The what I do crew. And so we... We think about the things that we do. And I want to share with you some things that I think in our lives that we could be doing that are good things for the wrong reasons. So let me explain. I must be okay with God because I read my Bible today. So he's looking down from up above and I opened my Bible and I read my Bible. And so God's happy with me today. Is that the way this works? Now, is reading your Bible important? Absolutely. Absolutely. But just reading your Bible doesn't make you right with God. I must be okay with God because I prayed or I served at church or I gave some money or I witnessed to somebody. You see, what Paul says is this. All of that performance stuff, that has no value compared with what? The, The infinite value of knowing Christ. So you see, the motivation is different. And this is where we can, I can make mistakes in this. Where I think that if I do these things, if I read my Bible and pray and serve and give and go and do, that all of a sudden that's going to somehow put me in good favor with God. That's not it. See, it's backwards. Rather, what we need to do is understand the infinite value of knowing Christ, which then motivates me to do these things, not that I think somehow my performance is going to change the way God sees me. Some other people, they're going to try and justify their relationship with God based on what they don't do. So let's call that the I don't do crew. And we attempt to please God by following a, a standard of rules. And you know, it's interesting. like we all have a different set of rules, don't we? My set came from my mom. I don't know where your set of rules came from. But there's this, there's this propensity for us to believe that following Jesus is about behavioral management. That scares me, and I'll explain it some more in a minute. So when I was a kid, you were right with God if you didn't listen to bad music. But like, how do we decide what's bad music? My mom. Mm -hmm. In our house, this is the way we decided. I've told you this before, that if the kids wanted to listen to some music that we felt was inappropriate, they had to print out the lyrics, stand in the living room, and read them out loud to Beth. And if you can make it through that, then maybe we'll have a conversation about, they're like, uh, uh, mm, mm, sorry, no, nah, yeah. You were right with God. If you didn't listen to bad music, don't watch bad movies. Here's the one in my family that was interesting. You, you're a good kid and you, you're a Christian if you don't dance. Can I tell you something? That messed me up. <clears throat> and I'm a bad dancer. But my wife likes to dance. You don't drink alcohol, you don't smoke weed, you don't have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend and for sure you don't go to Hooters. <clears throat> and listen, I'm not trying to belittle any of these things or speak down to them because I, I do believe we need to live our lives differently, but I, I believe we need to live our lives differently for the right reason. And this is, this is what I'm talking about this weekend. So parents, can I talk to you for just a second? I think sometimes we use religion, we use relationship with Jesus as a motivation to change our kids' behavior and that's what we're most concerned with. And I'm afraid that we're completely missing the boat. Because loving Jesus isn't about good behavior, it's about loving Jesus. And if we can help our children to understand what Paul just said, that there's infinite value in knowing Christ, If we make that the priority and not behavioral management, then all of a sudden, out of the overflow of a heart that's impressed with the infinite value of knowing Christ, guess what happens? Behavior changes. But it's for the right reason. Can you listen to a guy who's made some mistakes with that? Think carefully about your priorities and the way that you communicate to your children what following Jesus is really about. Because the second they're out from underneath your roof and your accountability is gone, you still want them out of the overflow of the infinite value of knowing Christ to be motivated to live different. I think that's pretty big. Can you see how the performance trap can, can cause all kinds of issues in our lives? We attempt to please God by following some standard of rules. This, When we're doing good, we feel good and we feel close to God. When we aren't doing good, we feel bad and we feel far away from God. Isn't that crazy that we would actually think that somehow I have the ability to mess with the omnipresence of God? That's so crazy. That somehow my behavior pushes God away. No, he's everywhere. He's, you know who's got a different perspective when God feels far away? Got news for you? You. Me. He's right there with us. His love is so encompassing. It doesn't fluctuate based on our behavior. So this performance trap, sometimes we attempt to please God by following the rules. Second of all, sometimes we attempt to please God by how we perform. And this has been very real for me personally. This happens when we believe that our worth is based on what we produce and how we perform. So I have value based on my production. I have value based on what I can produce. And that's embedded into our minds in so many ways. As little kids, we feel value when mom and dad say, good job because we produced good grades. Or when you do well on an athletic field or a court and you come off and parents say, great job. And all of a sudden, we start feeling that, that there's, this, there's this, this performance trap that I can get into that, that my value is based on how I perform and produce. And I've struggled with this for as long as I can remember. Am I a good leader? Am I being productive? Am I a good husband, a good dad, a good friend, a good pastor? Do I preach good sermons? And if I perform well and I produce a lot, then I have value to God and He will see me differently. The answer is that that is, that is not true. It's easy for us to start thinking that our worth is based on production and performance. And so we need to remember what the Apostle Paul said, because it's, it's so powerful. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is powerful. And he says, listen, if anybody, anybody knew how to perform, it's me. If anybody could have been good enough, boy, I was trying and doing better than most. And then he continues, and, and he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Somebody say garbage. Study that word. I dare you to go study that word. You will be surprised. He says, I consider it counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him I no longer count on my own righteousness. Through obeying the law, rather, I become righteous through, again, not my behavior, not my performance, through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul says, my religious works were nothing but garbage. So, what we need to understand is that I can never work my way to please God, and I can never stop sinning my way enough to please God. The only way that I can be made right with God is by faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's it, nothing more, nothing added. I fall short, God's grace never will. It's not Jesus plus good works, it's not Jesus plus religious effort, It's not Jesus plus not sinning. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's it. The only righteousness that we have comes by faith in Christ. We can't ever be good enough and we never can do enough. Instead, we have to trust him and in him alone. And this takes the pressure off. This gives us new perspective. And again, remember, I'm gonna show you this in this passage now. There is something very different than following Christ as an effort to have some behavioral management in our lives, in our children's lives. Or there is this difference between understanding that infinite value of knowing Christ and out of the overflow of knowing him, that changes who we are and how we live. Changes everything. So the Apostle Paul is talking to one of these other churches that he was involved with, the church in Galatia. And he says this in Galatians chapter 1. Listen carefully. He says, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Did you hear what he just said there? Check this out. Paul says, God chose me and he called me because I behave well. Is that what he said? Did he say that God called me and he chose me? Because I have lots of potential for the cause of Christ. Is that what Paul said? (laughs) No. What did he say? He said, he called me and he chose me because of his marvelous grace. Someone in this room needs to hear that today. And someone that's worshiping at home right now needs to hear that too. Because this is the game changer. Because when the enemy works his way into our lives and we begin to believe and get caught in the spin of this performance trap, we get this all out of perspective. The key to all of this is that it's by his marvelous grace. That's it. His marvelous grace is motivated by the depths of his love for you. Not because of how you perform, not based on how well you behave, but because you have value to him. That's it. God didn't call Paul because he was good enough, he didn't call him because he'd done enough. And see, the problem is that we get this out of order in our lives, too. Instead of it being by God's marvelous grace, you see, we think, well, wait, 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 wait. But, but, but when Doug does, and fill in the blank. Put your name in there, too. When you behave, perform, do good, be good, then we can have God's marvelous grace. But you see, we get it backwards. But when God motivated by his extravagant love sees you and loves you so much that he would send his son to come and die for you to start the redemptive process that's not motivated by as a matter of fact it tells us in romans that god demonstrated his love towards us in this while we were yet sinners christ died for us that's beautiful that's the good news it's not dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon you. It's not our behavior. It's not our performance. But the problem is so many of us want to say, but when, listen, but when I get my life straightened out, then then maybe God and I can have a thing or when when I kind of am able to conquer and move sin enough out of my life, then God and I can be in relationship and I can have his favor, favor. But when I get my marriage back to where it really needs to be, but when I'm good enough, perform enough, but when I have a better understanding of God's word, but when my prayer life looks better, then I can make a difference. For God, the problem is you can't you can't and you were never meant to when he can because he did. His marvelous grace. I I fall short, but God's grace never will. So please hear my heart. Stop waiting until you, whatever it is, don't do that. Because if you do that, you'll mess out. You see, it's a different way of thinking completely. And remember where we started? Isn't it messed up that the enemy will come into your life this week? I promise you that he will. He's gonna come into your life this week and he's gonna whisper in your ear, you're not good enough. And our tendency, because this is what we've done for so long, will be to drop our head, but not this week. He's going to whisper in your ear, you're not good enough. And you're going to say, I know. It never was. It never was about me. So you can back down, Jack. It's about his marvelous grace. I don't deserve it. But he somehow, in the way this whole thing works, Loves me in spite of my brokenness. Loves me in spite of my mess. And there's nothing that I could do to deserve this. It's just marvelous. So it's not up to you to try and do it. Because it's already been done. And it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what he thinks. And he's madly in love with you. Not because you're good at behaving. Because he loves you. And so this week, our assignment is to be aware of the enemy's tactics when he comes in and tries, tries to twist. Isn't this crazy? This is called the good news. And this is what the enemy tries to mess with our heads and our hearts on. That's why it's called the good news. Jesus did what you couldn't. And so, this week, when the enemy comes in and he tries to trip you up and you catch yourself getting caught in this performance cycle, remember this statement. Remember this. Stop trying to live for his approval. Instead, start living from his approval. It's a completely different way to think. And out of the, the, the life source of his marvelous grace and the depths of his love, you and I then become different people. We will live different because we're marked by his love. We will end up behaving differently because we're marked by his marvelous grace. That's the way God wants this to be. And for someone that's here today, you need to understand what Paul said. There is infinite value in knowing what we're talking about today. Infinite value. You have to know Christ. And he's not waiting for you to clean it up. He went to the cross before any of us had anything cleaned up. So starting today, We're gonna fight back against that enemy because he wants to mess with your mind and he wants to jack with your heart and he wants you to think you won't be worthy and here's the deal. None of us are worthy but his marvelous grace is a gift that's extended to you. Will you bow your heads? I know there's someone listening to my voice today, maybe in this room, perhaps it's someone that's worshiping with us online and uh, you've been fighting this for a long time and you've been caught in this performance trap because of uh, what you've been taught, perhaps. Or maybe it's uh, maybe just thoughts that you have that the enemy's just working his way in your life, and, and you think, I have no right to be in relationship with God because my life is a mess, and I'm, it's full of sin and yuck, and I don't perform well, and I wish I did. There's no way, there's no way that God could love a, a guy like me, a gal like me. And I need to stop you today and tell you that if you've believed that, you've believed a lie. Because the truth, the truth is that there is this incredible God who's madly in love with you, that loves you so much that he would send his son to come and die for you. And the only way that this can be described is marvelous because it's not deserved or earned. And if that's you and you're listening to my voice today, I'm praying that you're feeling this this excitement just kind of beginning to to rumble in your soul because you're believing perhaps for the first time there's a chance for you to be in relationship with the creator of the universe that loves you and you're right. And the only thing that you need to do is say yes to his wonderful grace accept this incredible gift. And if that's you and you're ready to make this decision, just pray with me. Just say these things. Just say, God, I I don't have this all figured out. And I know I've fallen short. Like that verse Doug read earlier said, I've fallen short of your perfect standard, but today I thank you that you love me so much that this wonderful grace that we've talked about is a gift that's being extended to me, and today I accept it. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to give me a fresh start to understand what it means to live in the victory of this love and this grace that you have for me. Lord, help me to stop living in this performance trap. Help me to identify the enemy's lies and live uh, not, not in some effort kind of trying to please you, but rather live out of the abundance of knowing that I already have your approval. And Lord, I pray that for all of us in this room today. The enemy's good at twisting truth. He's good at telling us lies. And so we make this decision today. Will you open your communion elements? We make this decision today to be reminded of this marvelous grace together. At Plum Creek, we Practice what's what we call open communion, which means it's not about church membership, it's about this relationship that we're just talking about in our in our walk with Jesus. And so today, will you hold these elements in your hand? And today, can we corporately ask the Lord to forgive us for somehow thinking that our behavior is what's going to make us right with Him? Our performance. Father, we ask you today to forgive us because. We would never want to belittle what you've done on the cross. And today, Lord, we stand before you in awe of your marvelous grace. Will you help us this week to live from your approval, not for your approval? Will you help us this week to identify that whisper of the enemy as a lie and remind him of your marvelous grace? We thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. Will you take the bread? and the cup we stand to your feet we're going to worship together and we're going to pray this right now in this moment that God wouldn't be pleased because we stand to worship but that he would be pleased because today we stand in awe of the way that he's made a way for you and I to experience that wonderful grace let's worship together